Hello, this is Robert Rickover at Body Learning, and today my guest is John Macy, who is a long time a long time Alexander Technique teacher as well as physical therapist in Omaha, Nebraska. He is the owner of Great Plains Pilates and Physical Therapy, and we're going to talk today about what does it mean to say that we are psychophysically unified beings. It's a phrase that often comes up in Alexander Technique discussions. And, and more specifically, what is it about the Alexander Technique that makes it a truly psychophysical process? John, welcome to the show. Thank you, Robert. Good to be here again. It is good to talk to you. Um, and could you begin by giving a short definition or description of the Alexander Technique? The definition I'm working from lately is that it's a real Western approach to things that other cultures have had for a very long time, yoga, martial arts, etc., in that it's a very Western way of looking at how do we make our mind and body work simultaneously and control that consciously. And so I think it's just very Western in that, you know, Alexander talked about the head-neck relationship and habit and thinking, but very mechanistic, very there's this, there's this. There wasn't any letting the energy flow or spirituality about it. Right, right. But on the other hand, he certainly used the term psychophysical in his writings, and I think Alexander teachers like that phrase. What would be your definition of psychophysical unity? I would have to default to what Alexander said, that he just had to make up a word because we're in such a Cartesian world where we think that there's a duality between mind and body, and they are separate. And we really, in the English language, don't have a word for them being a coordinated whole. Mm -hmm. and, and I think it refers yeah. to the fact that we can't separate them. You can't have a mind existing without a, a body, a physical organism, and you can't have a physical organism that stays alive without a nervous system, a mind, inside of it. Mm -hmm. Well, and that get, that leads me to um, a, a question. Um, you know, it, anyone that has any experience with the Alexander Technique, it, it, it doesn't come as a, a shock or a surprise that the way you think about yourself or what you're doing can have a very direct and immediate impact on on how your body functions at a physical level. So that direction's pretty clear. Uh, at the same time, we know that how you organize your physical body can have an effect on how you feel or think. A really good example example being something like power poses where, you know, if you just stand or sit with your arms over your head for a minute or two, you're likely to feel more confident and, and so on. That's been much discussed by other people as well. So those, I, I would imagine, could be trotted out as sort of standard examples of psychophysical unity. But I, I guess what I'm wondering is, what is it that really distinguishes that kind of thing from, say, a piece of machinery in which several parts directly affect each other, but they are actually parts? 
That's an excellent question. <laughs> and you're the and you <laughs> have been designated the answerer of that question. Well, I think it has two parts, and one is there is a directionality. In a machine, it runs in one way. This happens, which leads to this, which leads to this, and you've got an endpoint. Mm-hmm. So when we look at humans, there's a feedback going all the time. This happens in your thinking, generates this movement, which changes through its feedback the next thinking or generates the next thinking, and they keep ping-ponging back and forth mm-hmm. one to another to another. There's not really an end point to it. I think the other difference is is that there's a consciousness going on. And I don't think we want to get into what exactly is consciousness, although we could if we have three or four days. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there is a consciousness, in humans at least, of what am I doing that encompasses both the thinking and the movement. There's a sense of I underneath that. And I do not believe that machines have that. They're just the machine physical part. Mm-hmm. Even the computers, even though they're running through electrical processes, it's still, at the end of the day, going one way. It's just part. And I guess, to take the computer analogy, you could um, pull out a part and the computer wouldn't work. But then you could put the part back in or a replacement part and it would work. And that's not exactly how it works with human beings, right? It is not. I mean, you put the part back into the computer and it works the same as it did before by all measures. Mm -hmm. You take a part out of a human and then put it back, that person is still different. Mm -hmm. From having had the experience, they are different. I used to think about this when I worked with stroke patients Mm -hmm. and... Even the ones that, quote, recovered fully, unquote, mm-hmm. they were different people for having had that experience of being paralyzed, of being unable to move, unable to think for that period of time, and relearning everything again. It changed them. And I always wondered how it made that change. I've never seen any studies of the psychological inf- effects of stroke mm-hmm. on people who made full recovery, but I was always curious about that question. And I asked my patients, over the years as I saw them. And they all said that they were different people because of the experience, even if they had recovered fully by the medical definitions. Mm-hmm. And I think there's some anecdotal evidence about heart transplant patients also seeming to take on some of the characteristics of the person whose heart they got. I haven't heard about that one. I have heard and seen that people who have heart surgery frequently get... Well, for heart sick, everything you think of when you think of heart sick, the depression, the ennui, the not sure what they're doing or lack of attachment, you see that very commonly in people who've had severe injuries and or surgery to their heart. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's very interesting that they're changed by, you know, we just went in and worked on the plumbing and then there's these changes in their thinking because of it. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, of course, with humans so far, we haven't really had a brain transplant um, scenario, but one could imagine that possibly down the road. I can't, but okay. Well, it's, <laughs> and, it's, it, it's in the realm of potential conceivability <laughs> at some point. But I think the main point that, that you're making is that it's not just that, that, they, that one 
part, as it were, very directly affects another, but that that's, it's a two-way communication. And that in many cases, the parts can't really survive on their own. That's right. Yeah. So and you can make adaptations when parts are missing, mm-hmm. but it's an adaptation. It's not a full survival. It's not a return to full function. Mm-hmm. And by and large, we don't have any extra parts. You can get along without an appendix, but it does have a function. You get along without a gallbladder or a spleen, but they do have functions, and you do see changes in people's biology mm-hmm. when those organs have been removed. Mm-hmm. By standards of how what's the quality of your life and you live as long as you want, it's still a good trade-off, but there are changes. Mm-hmm. Right. So in terms of that direct mind body connection from from the way you think to how your body operates, which is, I would say, kind of a hallmark of the Alexander technique and, and really one of Alexander's huge discoveries that he, the way he thought could directly affect what he did. That's a pretty instant uh, connection, right? You change your thinking about how you're moving as say you're walking and your walking changes pretty much immediately, right? It happens quite quickly because it is based on the nervous system. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to insert just a split of hair for a minute here mm-hmm. because I think one of Alexander's real insights that even Alexander teachers miss at times is that he realized that it's important both what you think as well as the way you think about it. Yes, absolutely. And the same is true of your movement. It's not only how what you move, but the quality with which you move. Yes, yes. And and and, and as a practical uh, application of that idea, Alexander directions, whichever directions you're using, whether it's Alexander's original ones or some of the newer versions, the way in which you deliver those directions to yourself is, I believe, at least as important as the actual directions themselves. I would agree with and, you fully on that one. So that that's a characteristic that doesn't really uh, exist in, say, a machine. That's correct. It's allowed to... It takes information in a particular proscribed way by proscribed by something else, whatever mm-hmm. made it. And I think that's also the difference between the various approaches and schools of the Alexander Technique really comes down to how do you deliver the messages. Yeah, it's- I think so. I mean there's some there's are some differences in what the appropriate messages might be as well, but I agree that the big thing is how do you deliver it? Do you, and there's quite a variety there. But all of them work to to one extent or another. I think some probably work better than others. Mm-hmm. However, the opposite effect, the, how you change something about your body, let's take power poses, for example. They're a very good example of that. It turns out that if you just stand with your arms raised above your head or perhaps your hands resting on your head or even standing with your hands on your hips, uh, all of which raise your center of gravity a bit. Um, If you do that for a little while, it it affects your attitudes and your confidence level. 
but that that direction of interconnectedness seems a little murkier somehow and I know you have something to say about that. I think murky is a perfect uh, word for that because people forget there's really two communication or signaling processes going on. There's the nervous one, which is primarily electrical but has a chemical base, and it happens very fast. Mm -hmm. But it's not the speed of light. Nerve signals max go about 125 meters per second. And the slow ones, like pain nerves, go about a meter, meter and a half per second. Mm -hmm. But it's still fairly fast. You know, it gets the length of your body in less than two seconds, any message. Right, right. The other signaling process, though, is chemistry. Sending chemical messages to change what's going on in the organ or area of the brain that you want to change. And that just takes a little longer. I think a great way to illustrate this is to look at people have had heart transplants. We can transplant the heart, and, and we, I mean the surgeons, I'm certainly not capable of doing it, but they can transplant the heart and get all the plumbing reconnected, all the vessels going to it and from it, etc. But we can't reconnect the nerves. So the heart in the new person has no direct nervous connection to their brain, which means when they say, hey, I want to go running, they can't start getting their heart rate up. Or if they get startled, they don't immediately have their heart rate take off because their sympathetic nervous system kicked it. It takes a couple of minutes for the chemistry from that, the adrenaline, the uh, norepinephrine, the other things to kick in to get the heart rate to go again or to increase. So when they go to exercise, they need to do a slow, very paced warm-up to increase the chemistry in the bloodstream to make the heart kick up and get up to the speeds they need for working out. And the same with their cool down because they haven't got the nervous control. And we've all experienced the reverse of this mm -hmm. when we've been startled by something and realize, oh, everything's okay, but your heart a minute later is still racing and pounding because the adrenaline you dropped into your system at the time you got the shock is still free-floating in your bloodstream and has now hit your heart. And even though your brain's saying everything's fine, your heart's still going womp, 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 womp. Yeah, yeah. And so, and that would certainly explain why, getting back to power poses, and I, I, I really like that as an example because it is, it is such a practical way to influence yourself using your body. But it does, it, it takes time. Uh, it's a minute or two, something like that, before the full effects kick in. Mm -hmm. and, yeah, I, and, and I think that slow uh, direction of effect from body to mind compared to the opposite direction causes a lot of us to not really think about that direction all that much. I think that's quite true. I think it's also part of why with the Alexander Technique, having people move is very important. It's not just oh, think yeah. this direction, think this direction. You have mm -hmm. to get up and move and have activity to help get the correct or the improved feedback loop from the body back to the mind. If you're just sitting still and trying to just send it one way, I'm going to think this direction, think this direction, I think you're missing half of the psychophysical whole because you're not getting the movement, the chemistry, the the rest of the body involved. So you know, even so just just to play devil's advocate for a second there, I mean, because I do agree with you, but say you're just sitting in a chair and you're thinking a direction, 
my neck is free or whatever it is, presumably there's going to be some physical change that comes about from that. But what you're saying is it's not a very big one and doesn't have, it's not enough different to really send a reply message to your brain? I don't think it's large enough for most people to get a big return on the effort Mm -hmm. in terms of giving them overall improvement that they sustain in the quality of their movement and the quality of their existence. I'm not saying it can't be done Mm -hmm. because the fact is we're always moving. We're always breathing. We're always pumping blood. We're always shifting a little. But the Alexander technique is about conscious control. Right. And so having these little change in things you're not conscious of, I don't think they're in the arena. They're not part of the game plan for the Alexander technique. We're really talking about I want to change my thinking. Now I need to be doing a conscience, conscious, i.e. volitional movement to feed that back as to what am I doing. Mm-hmm. So you could be consciously breathing in your chair as you're moving up and see those changes, but I think the consciousness is a big part of it. And that will, and so and that return message as it were from your body to your mind would, would your your take on that be that that's really crucial to developing your ability to direct effectively yes it's not only critical to being able to direct effectively but it's also the whole reason you're directing in the first place What's right. the point of just having uh, – what's the point of the Alexander Technique if you're not going to move? Right, being, right. Being dead is very easy to do without having to do a lot of work. I would imagine so. I'm not, I'm not having <laughs> had that experience yet, yeah. You haven't done any uh, interviews with folks who've tried that experiment? Uh, no, I haven't. <laughs> but so um, so I think that we've kind of is there well let me just ask you is there anything else about the term psychophysical and or the Alexander techniques relationship to it that you'd like to mention before we come to an end it it makes me think of an experiment I want to try in the next week actually as we're speaking here and that is to change the orders of the order of the words instead of psychophysical go to physical psycho mhm and see what that does to my appreciation of the unity of the two. Oh, that's uh-huh. interesting. But how would you do that? Just have that word in your mind that that's what you're working I, on? I'm just going to change the label and see if that changes what I look at first. Um, mm-hmm. And just mean, because if it is a unified whole, yeah, it shouldn't sure matter which order it comes in. But I, as I'm just sitting here and doing that now, I can see that it helps me pay more attention to the physical relationship of my body parts to the space around me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that change in that relationship is, by definition, movement. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, I think that we'll, maybe we'll end up doing another podcast on that experiment. Yeah, I'd be curious if any of your listeners also try that experiment and what they do. Please, anyone anyone wants to try that, send and let, let me know. Send me an email. So... Uh, my my guest today has been John Macy, an Alexander Technique teacher and physical therapist of many, many years' experience. Possibly <laughs> the oldest physical therapist in the country, right? Uh, no, joke. no. But <laughs> certainly yet. in the top 
10% probably. Anyway, he's he's been doing this stuff for a long time. And he is the owner of Great Plains uh, Pilates and Physical Therapy in Omaha, Nebraska. If anything that we talked about interests you, I'll put a link to his website by the inter- interview, as well as the, um, the website of, the, of his, uh, his business. And I'll also put a link to uh, a site that will give you more information about the Alexander Technique. So, John, thanks so much for this. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Robert.